righteousness of my own. Are you found there? Do you have a righteousness of your own? Or do you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ as it's given to you? As a free gift without any work done on your part. It's simply believing Jesus at his word that he's given to us that righteousness. But that which is through faith in Christ, trusting in him. So we go back to that God's plan is he's predestined us to be conformed to the image of, of, uh, of Christ. And uh, that takes place through faith, through faith in what Christ has done for you, through faith in the, in the very righteousness and life that he has conferred to us, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So that was the tragic error of Israel. And the tragic error of the church today is that we so often are moving about in the energy of the flesh for uh, seeking self-righteousness by our own means, our own methods, trying to clean up our life when it's futile to, to, to deal with our sin nature. There's just nothing within man. It's been proven as we walk through the Old Testament. Time and again, the failure of man on his own, and it, it took God sending the second Adam to, uh, to show us the way, the path, the light, and the truth of the life that God has for us. A second point here is that the surpassing value of knowing Christ is greater than all material things. Please, please hear it. All material things, everything that you see, touch, feel, taste in this world, the surpassing value of knowing Christ is greater than them. God's word says it. It is true. And there's a value in knowing Christ Jesus. There's a value in knowing our God and creator. There's a value in that submission of our will to his word. A tremendous value that's greater than all, spirit, all material things, all things in this world. Philippians 3.8 says, more than that, I count all things to be lost. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but refuse that I may gain Christ. Are, are your material things or your material ambitions or the, uh, the, the pursuits of this world uh, given that you might gain Christ to this extent and this degree. Uh, God loves you and God desires the greatest and best and best and greatest life for you. And the pursuit of that, the Apostle Paul got it. He, he demonstrated it. And he says, imitate me, follow after me. Uh, because he was following after Christ Jesus, following after what God said, my desire is that I've predestined you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But lay yourselves to those things by faith. Move by faith. Move with the, the desire that the Spirit creates in our heart for the love of God and for the grace of God that he's given to us. Because according to his word, he's given to us great and precious promises whereby we might be made partakers of the divine nature. So we as God's people can be partakers of the divine nature. We can know holiness. We can know God's righteousness. And it can be displayed in our lives. And that's what God so wants to do with your life. And only you can take your pulse. Only you can assess where you're at and move in the right direction by faith. Uh, with your eyes upon Jesus and what Jesus is able to do what God himself is able to do. It's on the basis of faith. Trust in him. Trust in his word. Moving, striving not according to our own power, but striving according to his power, which mightily works within us. That's where God's people, that's where God's army needs to march. That's how we need to, uh, to face life on this side of glory. Because there's a day when Christ will resurrect your body. He said... He that believes in the Son has eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. His promise to you and his word to you is that there, this is not all there is. There's a day of glory. There's a day of resolution. There's a day where 
All things are accomplished according to God's purposes and plan for you. And that reality of being conformed to the image of Christ will be known when this body of sin and death is done away with. And in our resurrection bodies, we know the full power of Christ. The wonderful thing is that according to Romans chapter 8, it says that, um, that that power that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead, that resurrected him from the, the dead, quickens our mortal bodies that we may know the power of Christ at work within us as we live and walk and move in the Christian life. So the surpassing value of knowing Christ is greater than all material things. And Israel needed to know it. And Paul's heart is breaking for his people uh, because uh, those that were chosen, the remnant, they came. But those that were, were hardened he hardened their hearts, and they moved away from God. And there's always a danger in it. The scripture says in Hebrews chapter uh, 3, we looked at it last week, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not allow sclerosis of the heart to take place, but love the Lord your God and submit to his, the, the reality that he is God. He knows what's best. You don't. And, and to, to be in obedience, to be in submission to the Father's will, to His expressed word to us, is what is most essential for us. Uh, so all material things are put aside in regard to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, a third point, the elect obtained God's righteousness by faith. Acts 9.15 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. I want you to imagine, and I was, I was going to get the picture. I'm sorry that I didn't do it. But we have a beautiful picture of the Damascus Road from, from uh, Mount, what's the name of that mountain, Lori? Um, there's a mountain there that's in the Golan Heights. And you overlook into Syria, into Lebanon, and there's a path which the armies of the world, uh, and it was Damascus Road, the road to Damascus from, from and through Israel. And you can see it, this, this beautiful uh, panoramic view of the Damascus Road. And the Apostle Paul was on it one day. And the Apostle Paul was going a, a specific direction to, uh, to uh, persecute the church of Jesus Christ. And the, the Apostle Paul was, as he was walking down Damascus Road, he made a decision. He decided in his mind that, that, that he was going to follow Jesus. And so he was just moving along. Is that, is that what happened? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> The Apostle Paul was, with the full force of his will, was moving toward Damascus to kill believers. And, and what happened? God interrupted his life. God, and, and the Apostle Paul, what he's saying in these verses and what he said is, you know what? I didn't have some form of righteousness that God chose me out of my nation. I didn't uh, do something or there wasn't some innate quality in me. It was just by God's grace through faith uh, that, uh, that when he interrupted and when he stepped in the way, there wasn't anything for Paul, the Apostle Paul to do except turn around and turn around and move the opposite direction, move in accordance with God's word. Because why? Because God chose him. And so God chose a, a remnant, and it says here that the Apostle Paul was a chosen instrument. And so, and this was spoken to, um, to was it Ananias? Uh, and, and he was told to go uh, and meet with Paul. He's, well, of course, he un they understood that the Apostle Paul was coming to kill believers. So he was saying, wait a second, Lord, I don't want to go and meet the Apostle Paul. But the, the Lord said, he's a chosen instrument. I chose him. I took him out. I, I turned him around, and he's chosen for a specific purpose. You're chosen. You're chosen by God's will and for God's purposes. 
And God did it. God did those things. And he has glorious things. He had glorious things for the, the, the Apostle Paul with suffering and persecution on this side of glory. But glorious things that he, he had chosen the Apostle Paul to do. And there's nothing, there's nothing more significant and more important to you than knowing God's will for your life, what he created you for, the significance of why you're here, why you exist. Everything is, is that is, is the, the absolute pinnacle of life to know what I was created for by my creator and to have that relationship with him to doggedly with all of my strength and with all of my might, with all of my heart to pursue after God's will, God's purposes and God's calling for me in this life. You, know, you can try other things and you can move other directions, but you'll never find the satisfaction and the fulfillment and the eternal blessing that God intended for you as long as you in rebellion fight him in regard to what his will for your life is. That's the bottom line. It was the line for Israel and, and all of the, uh, the hardships. It comes from man's rebellion against their creator. You say, what's wrong with our world? How come the, this place is so rotten and things are so bad? It's because of mankind's rebellion against his creator. That's the bottom line. And God has done what God alone can do in regard to fixing that problem. He's the only one that can fix it in your life. The only one that can do what needs to be done. But the elect obtain God's righteousness by faith. And when we move into right relationship with God and the will of God is set before us, there's the pursuit of that will and, and God's the, the very reason for which you were created, the very reason for which God has called you, and there's nothing to compare to it, nothing this side, all spiritual things. He counts all things lost. Will you count all things lost this morning? Will you lay it down? Uh, because that's what he's, he's calling us to. That's what, what is his, his Holy Spirit uh, is working in our hearts that pursuit of the will of the Father. Also, um, from Acts 10, this wonderful passage here, we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he became visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand. This is the Apostle Peter speaking. By God, they were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. God is, is there to, uh, and, and, and he did the work, the only work that could be done for you and for me in the forgiveness of our sins through the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary and salvation which comes by God's grace through faith is that which puts their trust in what Jesus said. He that beholds the Son and believes in Him has eternal life, and I myself will raise him up to new life. And he that has believed in the Lord Jesus has passed out of death and into life. It's the wonderful, glorious message and truth of the gospel. So it's not a religious experience. The Apostle Paul wasn't walking down Damascus Road and he had some religious experience. He had some... Uh, type of, of thing that, that, that happened. It wasn't that religious experience that changed his life. Although the Apostle Paul did have a religious experience, didn't he? I mean, uh, he's, the Lord spoke to him. 
Uh, and that, that was uh, certainly a religious experience. But salvation does, does not come from a religious experience. Some people go, they, they walk through life looking for, for, for one mountain after, one mountaintop experience after another of these religious experiences. So you look at their lives and they're always up and down and up and down and they're just an emotional basket case because they're always looking for some type of religious or emotional experience to live the Christian life and it doesn't work that way. Because salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ and there's a stability in it. It comes not because Paul had the religious experience but because he trusted Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. It's the difference between the word that Christ had spoken. He that believes in me and has eternal life and we believe his word because his integrity is good. Because he's God who came in the flesh and he spoke to us. We ate with him and he gave us this word and it's that word that is truth. And it's that integrity of the person that said that word that is able not only, he's not only willing, but he's also able to do exactly what he said he would do. I will give to you eternal life. I will raise you up on the last day by my power, by my grace, not by your works, but by what I do. So there's not a decision of Paul's will. Paul didn't say he wasn't walking along the Damascus Road there. And he also, he just said, okay, I, I decided to follow Jesus. God chose him. God did that work. That's the point that the Apostle Paul has made all through the book of Romans, that it was God's power, God's grace. And so there's nowhere for us to boast. There's no way for, for us to say these are the things that I did or these, these are the things that I can boast before the judgment throne when Jesus Christ comes to judge the living and the dead. And we say, well, you know, I did these things. I've decided to follow Jesus. That's not the, the basis of our salvation. The basis of our salvation is that we, we heard the integrity of the Lord Jesus Christ and we believed him. We believed God at his word. That's the bottom line. Okay, so uh, the elect are the remnant. And so it mentions the remnant there. That's why I read the, the passage. But, uh, but those words are, uh, are very clear that the elect are, are the, the remnant. They're the, uh, the uh, Israel. <clears throat> and we're going to see in this chapter uh, where it's God's plan and his purpose to save the nation of Israel. Uh, and, and that's going to be in, in regard to the fulfillment of those covenants that God gave. Uh, but the, the elect in Paul's day were those remnant, those that were left over, just like was what was demonstrated to us through Elijah uh, and the, the, the 7,000 that, that the Lord, uh, he protected them that they did not bow the knee to Baal. And the remnant was there and has always been there. Because why? Because the promises of God to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to Israel. And that, that promise was that, that, that Abraham's offspring would always own that land. And that it was an eternal covenant, an eternal possession, as we looked at last week, to that which God had given to them. So... A second major point here in your notes there is those who not chosen, God hardens. And um, from James chapter 1, I want to make this point in, as we deal with this issue. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Okay, so what does that tell us? If God chose Paul, but he didn't choose, he hardened the rest of them. Uh, did God uh, cause that? Did he make them uh, that way? He himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. There's deceit, okay? There's deceit in the idea that, uh, that God uh, hardened Pharaoh's heart, uh, but God didn't cause Pharaoh's heart to be hardened. 
Pharaoh, it also says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So what do we see with the nation of Israel? What do we see with Pharaoh in regard to hardness of heart? We see rebellion there. We see rebellion to the, the spoken word of God, the, 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 the word that's, that's given, a hardness toward God. That's what we're talking about with sclerosis of the heart. Uh, there's that hardness that's already there. It's just that God intervened. He, sh he has mercy on whom he has mercy. It wasn't that Paul deserved anything. It wasn't that Paul did anything. God simply intervened to someone that didn't deserve to be intervened. It didn't reserve to, deserve to, to receive intervention, but God intervened in his mercy. For I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and whom he wills he hardens. And that's the truth of his scripture. So divine hardening is a judicial act. Okay, so we, we have these five cycles of discipline in Leviticus 26. I urge you, uh, some of you, uh, maybe from last week, you went home and you read Leviticus 26. I hope that you did. But uh, we do have a, uh, a paper in regard to those five cycles of discipline that are spoken of in, in addressed to the nation of Israel and in regard to the land promises and that possession that, according to God's word, is an everlasting possession to the offspring of Abraham, to the nation of Israel. In these five cycles of discipline, it says in Leviticus 26 and 27, yet in spite, and this is, at, this is the, the fifth cycle that he's speaking of here. I need that verse, yeah. Let, yet if in spite of this you do not obey me but act with hostility against me, this is, after, this is during the fifth cycle of discipline that God brings on the nation of Israel. You, however, I will scatter among the nations and will draw out a sword after you as your land becomes desolate and your cities become waste. So in the land covenant that God made with the people of Israel, if they broke that covenant, God would remove these generations. But he would always save a remnant. And if you read the rest of Leviticus chapter 26, it says, but if you repent if you turn your heart back to me, then I will remember my covenant, and I will remember you, and I will bring you back into the land. And it's very clear what the scripture says in regard to divine hardening. It's a judicial act, uh, but there's a, a process and a procedure in regard to the covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. And it's really important to know and understand the land covenant because it gives you a perspective on Scripture that is a right perspective on Scripture. It gives you a perspective on prophetic events that is a right perspective, a biblical perspective that's based on the clear things that God spoke, and we're taking them literally. We're not allegorizing those things that God said. We're not changing the definition or the meaning of them. We're simply taking those things that God says at their face value, and that's so important for us because the hardening of the heart involves not listening to what God has said, or as is the problem with much of the church today, allegorizing the things that God says, which basically is changing the definition of what he clearly stated. And if you look at Leviticus chapter 26 or Deuteronomy chapter 30 and consider uh, just with, with uh, careful consideration uh, the land covenants, as God explains them there, you will understand what's happening with the nation of Israel today and, and what those prophetic events are, are speaking of in regard to this return to God. So moving on then, uh, divine hardening is a, a judicial act. Divine hardening is not the cause, but the result of rejecting the truth, Right? We understand that from so many places in Scripture. There's a, uh, uh, when God causes hardening, it's because he, he gives them over to a reprobate mind. He gives them over to, to, to impure, impurity. Uh, God hardens, he gives over as a, as a result of rejecting the truth of God's word. Today, if you hear his word, do not harden your heart because if you harden your heart, he the process of divine hardening takes place. Be tender to the word of God. Be tender to the scripture. Listen to God's word and pay a, a, 
that uh, attentive uh, uh, ear to our Lord and God. Another point here is that the rest of Israel were hardened. Uh, they, uh, the, the hardened are the remainder. So we have the remnant, but we also have the remainder. And there's a contrast here in these verses. Uh, it says the rest were hardened. Okay. So what happened to the rest of Israel? They were hardened. Why were they hardened? Because they were in rebellion against God. They broke covenant. They uh, did things contrary to, to the instruction, the stipulations that God gave to them. So he judicially hardened the remainder. But in his mercy, he saved some. He saved some of the remnant. Um, and so that's uh, the passage here. Do not harden your hearts. Uh, and we see this, this word. Uh, While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Okay, so when they provoked the Lord, what happened? Well, they were in rebellion. Well, what were they in rebellion to? They were in rebellion to what God told them to do. They put themselves in a place of being over God's word. Think about it. A creature that puts, them, puts themselves over the authority of God himself. That's what we do when we harden our heart to the truth of his word. So have tender hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Uh, there's a passage in Hebrews 3, 13. But encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called a day so that none of you will be hardened, what? By the deceitfulness of sin. You know what happens? We sin and then what happens? Our hearts harden uh, by that deceitfulness. We harden to God. And, and uh, we don't want to be around God because because there's conviction there. God is holy and, and we have this sin and so uh, we harden ourselves and we move away from God. But God through Christ Jesus has determined that, that with our sin that we, we come to God because if we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just. He's just because Jesus Christ paid the full penalty for that sin to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Therefore, we don't have to run from a holy God anymore. We can move toward him with our sin, not because of our self-righteous acts, but because by God's grace through faith, we've been given that privilege to come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we confess our sin. He forgives our sin. He he promises to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a good promise. He's good to his word. I believe him. I trust the Lord God. He's going to do something in my life that I can't do for myself. And I'm good with that. Are you? Are you good with that? And isn't it worth the pursuit? Because it works in conjunction. You know, when, that, when your heart is in conjunction with God's will. When your heart makes that decision that's in light of God's will, you know what? The scripture says, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. And this is exactly what the Lord is, is speaking of. He's saying that when your will is determined in regard to exactly what God's will is, and whatever you ask, he's going to do it. Because that will is in submission to what God's will is. And nothing can stop God's will. He's going to do miraculous things in our lives. He's going to, to he's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. He's making you righteous. And that's something because we can't do it ourselves. Not done in our own energy or our own strength. But by God's grace, we can pursue a, a Christian life and there's a pursuit of it where our decisions are made in conjunction with the word of God and transformation takes place not conformed to this world but transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God isn't that awesome God is he has you here to prove his good and acceptable and perfect will to others that's your calling that's what it's all about. That's what counts. That's what God has called us to. Do not harden your heart. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and whom he 
uh, and he hardens whom he desires. So you got that stubborn will there, and God hardens their hearts. Uh, it's a judicial act. Okay? Number two, God gives them spiritual lethargy. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. He's speaking of the nation of Israel. So what does hardness of heart look like? Well, they have eyes that don't see. They have ears that do not hear, down to this very day. And it's, it's, that's the, the, the nature. And you know what I'm talking about. You've talked to unbelieving friends and family, and they simply cannot hear. Why? Because their, their hearts are hardened. The scripture says, break up the fallow ground. Can you pray? Father, my, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, their hearts are hardened. Break up their fallow ground. God, be pleased to break up their fallow ground. Whatever it takes to break up that fallow ground, to hear the word, to know the truth, to know the words of life, to know salvation in Jesus Christ, you do it, God, because you must be the one that does it. But I can be a representative. I can be an ambassador for Jesus Christ, and I can tell people the truth. That's what we're called to. God is going to use you as an instrument to be a minister of reconciliation. But here he's giving them a spirit of stupor, and that's a spirit of a spiritual lethargy. We simply just are too dull of hearing to hear the word of God and the authority of God and the power of God and the glory of God. So don't allow yourself to live and exist in a spirit of stupor. Second point, God gave them this spiritual lethargy in John 12, 40, it says, and he has blinded their eyes and he hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I healed them. That's the Lord Jesus speaking. He's speaking about his nation. He's speaking about the hardness of heart as he told them the truth of God's word, as he filled prophecy, fulfilled prophecy before them, as he worked miracles before them. He did by works and by words the spoken and powerful word of God, and they rejected it. And as they rejected it, they were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. So, and so what does hardness of heart look like? Romans chapter 1 is a, just a beautiful description of the word. Let me, let me work through this, but you can look at Romans chapter 1 or go back to our, what we have online on our website. Uh, the men who suppress the truth, uh, there are men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So what happens in mankind's rebellion? Well, he suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. And then it goes on and it says, and that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. So in the pagan man here in Romans chapter one, someone that doesn't even know the scripture, the things that are evident about God, the things in creation, God has spoken to them and they reject it. And it goes on to say, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. That's mankind's rebellion. That's sin. That's the sin nature. That's mankind's rebellion against their creator. And this is the problem. All of our problems stem from this. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts. This is the hardening process taking place. God gave them in the lust of their hearts over uh, to impurity. And then it goes on to say, and then God gave them over to degrading passions. And we find all kinds of sin described in Romans chapter 1. And then God gave them over to a depraved mind. That's hardening taking place. And that's a pr process of a spiral down into depravity and into uh, uh, rejection uh, from our creator. And although they know God, the ordinance of God, and those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That's a picture of mankind that, that the Apostle Paul gives to us in Romans chapter 1. It's a picture of the hardening of the heart. It's a picture of the, the process of, of man's rebellion against God and the, the consequences of it. Because when we see these things like we saw in the early hour here, 
It's the result of rejection of our Creator. It's the result of the fact that we took God out of our schools. It's the, the, the result of the hardness of, of the heart uh, with a Supreme Court that would make a judgment to remove prayer and the Bible from schools and the things that are necessary for life of our young people and our children. Uh, it's just the consequences. It's hardening. It's the very picture of hardening. And we must be tender and we must be quick to speak in regard to the truth of God's word. How else can we not be conformed to this world and, uh, but transformed by the renewing of minds that we may prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God if we don't speak, if we don't stand for righteousness and truth? We must we must see these things and know and, and recognize what hardening is and what the church's responsibility is and what it means to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ, what it means to prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's many facets of it, but it, one of the facets is not withdrawing ourselves from our society and our culture and not engaging our culture in regard to the truth. It's just the truth. It's hardening for us to be cold and simply remove and say, well, that's their life, let them. But it's not because the things that affect us and affect your children, affect your families, come from the society and the culture that you live in. And you should be, as God's people, proving the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, let me... Uh, uh, ears that do not hear for knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Okay? We know God's righteousness. They're seeking to establish their own. That's the Jewish people. And that's the hardness of the heart. And they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Are you subjecting yourself to the righteousness of God this morning? Hear his word. Make sure you understand it. Don't go off in the energy of your flesh doing your own will, your own things, but understanding the will of God and knowing the will of God and moving by faith in regard to that will is powerful. It's, it's indomitable. God's will is going to be done, and he'll do it through you or he'll do it through somewhere else, someone else, but he's always going to do his will. He's always going to get it done. God always gets everything done. He knows exactly what's going on in our country. He knows exactly what needs to be done, and he's doing it. That's one thing we can be confident of. Uh, so as we see the hardness and the ugliness and the, the depravity of sin and all of these things that are happening in our nation and, and to our people that we care about, we can always know that God is dealing with it. That God is sitting on his throne in heaven. He's God over all flesh. He rules over all of these things. And he's addressing the problem of man's sin. And he's addressing it with the greatest compassion and mercy that can be expressed in light of all of the things that, that man is doing, not subjecting themselves to the righteousness of God and, and walking in sin. So um, thirdly, judgment comes unexpectedly and suddenly to those who are hardened. You know, that's the nature. It's like when we look at that, there being, uh, when the Romans came in 70 AD, they were at their table. We see this picture. They were at the table and let their table become a snare to them, David uh, spoke of in Psalms. So they were feeding on these things, and their table represents uh, God's blessings. You know, God, God's blessings are there. Um, and the scripture says, so that you may be the sons of your father in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God's provision, everything that we have is owned by God, our creator. Everything uh, that, that we partake of, everything that comes off of that table is God's blessing to the just and to the unjust. And, and there's uh, a responsibility and accountability that we have to the one who owns these things that he created and he gave to men, his blessings. But also there's their personal attainments. So they're there at their table and, and often from unjust gain, they're enjoying the benefits of their table. 
You know, they're, they're sitting there and the pleasure's there, but the judgment comes suddenly, and it always comes. God, God's not, he never fails in his judgment. So whatever's happening in Washington, D.C., or whatever's happening uh, in our education system, people are accountable to their God and creator, and people will ultimately answer to the justice of Almighty God. And vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. I'm good with that. I hope that you are too because it brings a lot of peace to us to know that God is doing in his time, in his way, the things that only God can do in regard to these things, in regard to the, the table of the wicked. They're enjoying their entertainments. They're, they're often unjust. They're often crooked and criminal. Uh, there's often through bribery, often through covetousness, they've taken it by violence and they're, they've got their spread. But God's judgment comes. He's just and he does it in the right way with the least collateral damage. He extends as much mercy to mankind as could possibly be considered uh, uh, just and righteous. Mercy and justice is perfect with God. And only with God. That's why he is the judge and you are not. So number two, the table becomes a snare. It's that sudden death or capture. Uh, the table becomes a trap. Okay, not, not only a snare, but a trap. A secret planned capture of prey. Uh, so get the picture here. The wicked there, they have their spread. They have life. And they think they have it the way they want, but judgment is hanging over them. And everyone has to answer. And it's a trap. The, the table becomes a trap. All of the personal attainments, all of the blessings that God has given to them is, is just nothing in regard to the hardness of heart and, and the awful uh, uh, judgment that will befall the wicked. And that's something that we can be sure, assured of and... Uh, address those that um, that are perishing with with love and with mercy and a desire to see them come to faith in Christ whereby their sins are forgiven and they were brought into a relationship with God and healed in the heart. And that means that we dispense with all of that lying and cheating and stealing and corruption that takes place in our lives. Thirdly, uh, they, uh, it's a stumbling block and it causes, uh, it's like a, it's a baited ruin uh, that, that falls upon the unbeliever, that fell upon Jerusalem, fell upon Israel. And then fourthly, there, the baited trap, there's a retribution, a dispensing or receiving punishment. Um, there, retribution, it comes from our creator. Uh, and all of us should fear because uh, God is just. He's not only merciful, but he's also just. And there's consequences for, uh, for the, the things that are, that are done. Uh, and uh, so confessing that sin and, and moving toward God is, is just the right thing to do. You know, it's, it's right. Uh, and third point here is hardening progressively extinguishes the conviction of sin. So David, uh, it's prayed there, and we saw it in Romans chapter 11, verse 11, let their eyes be darkened to see not. Uh, again, hardening and that extinguishing of light. Israel saw miracles. They saw miraculous things. And they, they complained and they grumbled and they rejected. Uh, and that, that hardness to the conviction of sin that we, that we feel is, is a dangerous thing. Uh, but light is, is darkened uh, so that we can't see and we, we're confused. We don't know where to go. Uh, and that's the state of the unbeliever. They don't know. Uh, and so because of that, we can have the compassion that God has upon them and do what Christ said, love your enemies. You know, pray for them uh, and, and uh, have his attitude. Be, be like Christ because that's the way he wants us to be. A fourth point is that fear and guilt is the burden and bondage of the rebellious. Uh, bend their backs forever. Uh, you know, you know how hard it is to walk around with guilt uh, and fear, uh, fear of that judgment and fear of, of getting caught. And so you get in this snare and you're, you're telling one lie and then you have to tell another lie to keep that lie going. And, and you live with that. You don't sleep at night. You got to 
knot in your stomach. I've been there. You know, it's a terrible place to be. There's no rest. There's no peace for the wicked. There's not any peace for them. And they, they carry that burden and bondage. So let me give you a takeaway and we'll close. I'm sorry I'm over time today. But the takeaway is this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart to God. Don't harden your heart to God's word. Be quick to listen to his word. Do not become dull of hearing. Uh, it's that conviction of sin. Uh, it, it sure is easy to move away from God. And it's, it's us that, that move away because there's a way, there's a path through Christ Jesus whereby with a holy God we can come into his presence into the presence of a loving heavenly Father that cares about you, that loves you with an unconditional love, understanding all of your, your crumminess and all of the, the wickedness and selfishness that, that resides in the human heart. He loves us in spite of it. Do not become dull with your sin of hearing, but, but move toward God and move toward His grace because He has grace for you there. And then train your senses to discern between good and evil. We do that through His Word, right? We learn His Word. Order your steps in accordance with His Word. Teach our children God's Word. They're teaching over there. Don't ever forget. Don't ever quit praying that the, the power of that Word gets enrooted in the heart in good ground, in, in, fa in fallow ground that's been broken up in that, that sinful little heart. And the Word of God resides there and changes a life. Let's go to the Lord uh, in prayer here. Uh, where is our boasting, Lord? Our boasting is excluded not by our self-righteousness, not by our works, not by our ability to keep the law of Moses or by a law of faith, but we've been justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And Lord, guard your people. Guard us from the hardness of our hearts that comes from the deceitfulness of sin. Give to us ears that are quick to hear your word and keep us from growing dull of hearing. May our eyes see and perceive the truth that you have revealed to us in your word. Train our senses to discern between good and evil. May your grace be given to instruct us in denying ungodliness and worldly desires that we may live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present age. And may our eyes be sharp to perceive quickly the light of truth that you give to us and break up any fallow ground in our hearts. Help us to count all the material things of this world to be lost compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. May we lay hold of that for which you have laid hold of our lives and press on for the goal of your high calling for us in Christ Jesus. There's no greater goal and no higher treasure than your will for our lives. May we labor striving according to your power as you work mightily within us. May we gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of our own derived from the law, from, but from the righteousness which is through faith in Jesus Christ. Freedom, Lord. Give us that freedom the righteousness which comes from you on the basis of faith. Strengthen us with might by your Spirit that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that the glorious name of Jesus Christ will be honored. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Let's rise and sing. A closing hymn. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it.
no language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of his presence with me doth continually dwell. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. I think of my blessed Redeemer, I think of him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent, his love is the theme of my song. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.